0: Welcome to the VoiceOver Hustle. If you're in the business, you know voice acting is tough. Marketing your voiceover is really tough.
1: If you're a voice actor who wants advice from industry professionals, marketing experts, and people who hire voice actors, this is the podcast for you. Now here's your host, Steve O'Brien.
0: Some sounds and deliveries come and go. They are the hot thing one day, and then they're not. But one read that has been and will be around in the future is the conversational read. I mean, it's the one sound every voice actor needs to learn and wants to learn. It's that must-have tool in your voiceover hustle. Our guest today is a voiceover coach, director, and producer. He teaches the conversational read, self-direction, the commercial read, and directs auditions. For nearly 15 years, he was the voiceover studio manager at Bookwald, New York. To date, he has directed over 125,000 auditions and counting. Along with private coaching and teaching classes, he is writing two books. One compiles the ideas he explored in his blog, the other is a conversational read. Hugh P. Klitsky, welcome to the voiceover hustle. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you on here. So, uh, right off the bat, define for me what is the conversational
1: read? In conversational voiceover, you perform the words written in fairly rigid forms so naturally that listeners are unaware of their artificiality. That's a great definition.
0: And I think the the key word there is artificiality. One, I'm going to add that to my thesaurus. Uh, But two, the fact that a lot of what we receive might not necessarily be conversational as how to we speak, but it is to what is necessary for
1: the script. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And it's, it's a difficult distinction to... Well, not quite distinction. It's difficult... You know what it is? The people that write the words don't understand how difficult it is to speak words crafted in those specific forms Mm -hmm. naturally.
0: Yeah, yeah. They
1: just think it's something that can just be imposed Mm -hmm. without effort, I think. Mm -hmm. I've heard more than one talent say, gee, if they just read it out loud themselves, they'd know... (sighs) what it feels like. I hear that, uh, in your voice, but it's true. You know, that's one big part of it, but they use those structures in order to make their ideas clear to an audience. Mm -hmm. And then the task of voiceover talent is to make them sound relatable, natural, that it's the first time they're saying them all those kinds of things and that's not an easy thing to do and that's why not everybody can do conversational and that's why people when they're first getting into the work just think oh it's just talking well it's not just talking mm-hmm. and not not just anybody can do it yeah good
0: acting is seamless it's transparent you don't you don't smell the acting as they say it's just kind of there um and as far as the writers, I'll say this. It, it is no easy task to take a concept or an idea or a conversation and make it 30 seconds long. Most of our conversations, like today, have no time constraint. We can talk as long as we want. They have 15, 30, 60 seconds to a lot of times get their ideas across. So that, that's definitely difficult and adds to the problems that, as a talent, we deal with. Wouldn't you think so?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100% with everything that you said, and what your answer also echoes my admiration for commercial writing especially, because they pack a tremendous amount of information Mm -hmm. and intention and idea into a teeny tiny little space, (laughs) and talent has to ferret that out in order to make those ideas really come alive. Talent has to seek for how is this story being told in order to make it sound conversational? Is the
0: conversational read a, is it a sound or is it a delivery?
1: Can you dive into what each of those means when you say a sound or a delivery? Can you define those a little bit more specifically for me? So,
0: is the conversational read a sound of someone's, like, the timbre of their voice, the sound of how they they sound? Is it akin to maybe the every everyday guy next door sound?
1: Is it a tone? Yes. As opposed
0: to? As opposed to um, a delivery or style of acting that is done.
1: Then I'd actually have to say that the delivery will inform the tone. Okay. I would have to say that, Based on those definitions, it's both, but I would say that the delivery is first. I mean, this year I found this awesome interview with... It's not an interview, actually. It's Ian McKellen actually holding a masterclass, and it's 1979. And it's on YouTube, and I suggest everybody seek it out because it's just great. He's kind of in the height of his powers. And there's a quote I pulled from that where he talks about... um that uh, he hopes that if anything, the workshop on Shakespeare that he's conducting right there, he's like referring to himself as he's wrapping up, he's hoping that the workshop has scotched, in his view, the wrong belief that Shakespeare's verse is music and that all you have to do is find the tune and then everything will be all right. He says, I don't believe that. I believe that if you look after the sense of the words, of the language, the sounds will look after themselves. Mm. I think that really informs a lot of the conversational read. Mm. That if you get it, and you're willing to let that comprehension come through in your read, it can't help but alter the tone. Mm. Okay. So one follows the other, and that order is important. I think so. I think so, yeah. I think, I mean... Almost all problems, right, are failures of comprehension. Most failures of execution are failures of comprehension.
0: Oh, I love that. I think that's absolutely accurate. I, I totally believe that, that. Yeah, it's the idea that we can't get this concept across in our head
1: that causes us to fail many times. I think so. Yeah, that's great. But there's also... It's a tiny bit... You have to be a little bit egoless, too. You have to be willing to say, hey, my announcer sound is great and golden and awesome, and it's everything that promo should be, and it's everything that trailers should be, Mm -hmm. and it's everything that big parts of radio should be. But when I'm approaching the conversational read, I have to do a couple of different things. I have to really understand what's going on worry less about sound and be willing to be messy and interpretive mm-hmm. rather than simply presentational. And I don't mean presentational or simply in, in at all a negative way. They've got their place and they've got their value in the market, mm-hmm. but conversational is just a little bit different, mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to impose it on announce rewritten material.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's some announcer m- material. Now make it your own. <laughs>
1: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, when I'm working with students, that becomes like an exercise we get to, like after a couple of weeks of working together, for sure. Maybe even a couple of months, depending on them that way. But yeah, then we start to say, okay, here's straight up announcer stuff, like for Sears, a Sears one day sale or something like that. And then how do we make that sound? Relatable, conversational, approachable, Mm -hmm. like you're talking to a friend, despite the fact that the first line is hurry in for the Sears one day sale. Well, yeah, (laughs) that's really hard to do. That's really hard to get out of the head that we've heard and understood for big parts of our careers and been rewarded for. Well, now the rewards go to people who can make that sound natural and real. Wow. Okay, that's hard. Yeah, taking copy that
0: you would never say in real life in a conversation and making it sound genuine. Yeah. Is there, are there things that get in the way of the voice? Well, let me put it this way. Are there things that voice actors let get in the way of being conversational in their read?
1: I think ego can be part of it, Mm -hmm. but not quite ego as much as it is like a conditioned reflex, let's say. Mm Mm-hmm. A conditioned reflex that says, I've always done it this way, mm-hmm. or I can't do it, I can't read this particular script any other way than announcery. I mean, it would be very broad to say a willingness to grow and change, but that's not quite it. There's something like a little deeper going on, I think, sometimes. I think if you're willing to listen to yourself objectively rather than judgmentally, I think that that can carry you far. And I think that's very, very difficult for everybody to do. Mm-hmm. The willingness to say, this is what I really sound like, as opposed to judging it and saying, oh, I sound great, oh, I sound bad. A willingness to just understand what you sound like first, and then in turn adjust that. I think that actors need to learn how to, voice actors need to learn how to approach their scripts as a series of choices, and that they can be creative, even in Traditional announcer copy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think that if they're willing to let their hair down and willing to be a little bit messy Mm
0: -hmm. with it,
1: interpret the words, Mm -hmm. to be willing to be a little more emotionally vulnerable when adding a subtext to an idea, I think that can be really, really difficult for Mm -hmm. most actors, especially if they're used to having one presentational emotional posture, let's say. Sure. Look, promo reads in general, they're very narrow emotionally. This is not a bad thing, you know? Like Dorothy Parker said, she ran the entire emotional gamut from A to B. And in A to in that space, those emotions of A to B can be everything required. Everything required and do the job perfectly. And in conversational, you just gotta go a little bit further with it. Mm. And that's not always easy to do, but the good thing is that when you add subtext to an idea, nobody will know what your subtext is, so you can be as vulnerable and honest with yourself as you want. Mm-hmm. But we'll hear when the subtext isn't there, and then we'll hear when it is there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think most people at heart are risk-averse, and so that making yourself vulnerable and putting yourself out there and doing something that isn't, that that feels uncomfortable, we avoid that naturally,
1: but... Yeah, isn't admitting, isn't going to a teacher to say, help me, isn't that admitting that you have a problem? Mm-hmm. And then you are in a vulnerable state when yeah. you go? Yes. I mean, let alone if you're not making money, let alone if you're seeing the industry change and you start to panic, knowing that, hey, my work could go away at any instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of vulnerability that yeah. goes on. Sure. And, and I think that's and then you where... Have-
0: and you mentioned ego, and, and uh, I think that's where our ego can come from, and that is you get a lot of no's in this business. And so there has to be kind of that armor that is built up around a bit so that you
1: can deflect no's all day long. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the the best actors I ever saw, they were very comfortable with the idea of, I've done my audition work to the very best I possibly can, There's nothing more I can do. Mm -hmm. Now it's up to everybody who's making the decision. Mm -hmm. And those decisions are made based on what they see they want and their choices. I have nothing to do insofar as what they choose to think about the work that I've done. Mm -hmm. And then they move on. Yeah, It was amazing just to see that. Does everyone need uh, a voice coach? A coach, classes, training... Brute force, time on the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, they're all different things, but you've got to get your time in somehow. And if you do it with a coach, mm-hmm. that can create um, efficacy in, in your work. Mm. So, even someone
0: who's been at it, and <clears throat> maybe even more so, someone who's been at it for 20 years, 25 years, they mm-hmm. might, they can start to maybe drift a little, or maybe they need a new concept to help keep them
1: fresh and bright? I mean, if they don't drift, the market drifts around them. Well, yeah. You know, that it isn't necessarily about a lack of skill. It can be about, hey, my this thing I do is out, or what my voice does in this particular kind of voiceover is out. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people pivot from promo to affiliate like national to affiliate to narration to political mm-hmm. and continue to have a positive very positive income stream for decades mm-hmm. but they then in turn had to learn how to transfer their skills over and it's not always a one-to-one match no so that's a different kind of pivoting than just saying, "Hey." My skills are deteriorating. My skills need to change. That's about knowledge of market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything kind of you know dovetails into each other, but it's subtle. Sometimes it's really, really, really subtle. And then, yeah, you have to get advised. You know, you got to have good people around you to say, or even to yourself, to admit to say, "Hey, I'm not getting my my game is on, but I'm not getting hired. What's happening?" And it's like, do I stay the course? Do I? move my stuff over here, over there. It's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to
0: do that. It is. And just as we get older, if you started in this business when you were 25, and now you're 45, you're reaching a different audience, most likely.
1: And emotionally, you're talking about different things with different levels of veracity. Yeah. It's perfectly fine to be self-involved at 25, and you're expected mm-hmm. to do that. At 45, you begin to care about others.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So when we hear the 45-year-old voice talking about cell phones, that person might be making decisions for a whole family. A 25-year-old talking about a cell phone is making a decision for themselves. Yes, that's a good point. That's
0: a very good point. Is there something that you would give advice to someone when they're looking for a coach? So if you were a, a working voice actor and you need coaching,
1: what steps would you go through? I would try to experience that coach in real life for as little money as possible. If you can watch that coach teach, if you can have an intake interview and have it cost very little or nothing even, and to really understand the question, do I think that I'm going to get along with this person Mm -hmm. first? Yeah. A strong recommendation from other people's successes is great. They're re- that's really fine. And seeing names that you identify with on their website saying, oh, this person I've heard of recommends this coach and things like that, that can be a great jumping off point. But if you can get in and see them do their thing and listen to the way they interact with others, and if something in that speaks to you, the odds are really, really good that mm-hmm. you might jive with that person that way. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that Students really need to ask coaches questions about who are the kind of students that they work with, what's their background, how did they get to coaching, Where, you know what kinds of work have they done, have they done work at all? I, was, I had a conversation with somebody who became uninterested in studying with me because I am not voice talent. And I couldn't fault him because that was certainly something important to him. And so I recommended four other coaches that I knew were voice talent, that I had either seen lectured, knew mm-hmm. personally, or had good reputations. And I said, here you go. You know," And I hope you find what you're looking for. I thought he was a very talented guy. But I, could, I wasn't going to argue his mm-hmm. primary interest of studying with a talent. Sure. And I thought that was a really great question to ask if you will also understand exactly what you want. So a lot of my thinking about coaching and teaching comes from my background studying music and working with musicians. And as an undergraduate, I studied jazz composition with a very, very good flute player and baritone sax player. And he told me casually his story about going to the first chair flautist for the Philadelphia Orchestra and explaining to him specifically who he was The albums that he had recorded and the work that he had done and that he was a flute player and he was coming to this particular esteemed flautist for technique, just for technique and not repertoire, and he made it very clear he would be on time, be prompt, and do anything that this particular flautist said in order to deepen and improve his technique. If you're going to a coach and you're looking for something specific, You need to ask, can you give me this? And the more specific the request, the more likely they'll be able to satisfy it or not. When people come to me for conversational voiceover, and this has really only happened in the last year, that they've come to me specifically for conversational, and that's why I've pivoted myself in the marketplace. They said, I am making X number of dollars for a long time in promo, in trailer. I can't land the conversational read. Can you help me with that? Sure. And I would hear that from people working regionally and making great livings, people working nationally and making great livings. And I was surprised. But they'd seen me lecture. They heard the things that I said. They posited the question. And I can think of no less than six people who specifically said that before I even started to move myself into the market talking about the conversational read to say that that was going to be my focus. And so I responded to that by saying, yeah, this probably should be the focus that I'm offering myself to out in the world because that's what people are asking me for. So let me follow that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think that's the one thing everybody wants to be able to nail. And uh, for for people, I think, that don't come from radio, it sometimes can be much easier because they don't have those years of, being in radio, being taught to be talked, talking at people, announcery. Uh, so, yeah, right. I mean, it's the read. But if you're a radio person, that is something that you have to overcome.
1: Yeah, you have to make a major cognitive shift. I think about um, podcasting and I think about why NPR really was the first radio identity that succeeded in podcasting and then everybody else trailed afterwards for the most part. And that was because the NPR, I mean, in this kid's opinion, the NPR delivery was very, very subtle and subdued. And as if it was somebody talking right to you in your ear, as opposed to radio, where it came from a very different tradition, a very different tradition of having to grab, hold and seize attention and be the filler in between the songs and the commercials. Yes. That the last thing they wanted somebody to do was to turn the dial away. So you had to keep their attention through all the other stuff that they came to the station for. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there a difference, and you've been on both sides of this, is there a difference between coaching
1: and directing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, at its most basic, coaching is the how to get a sound, and the directing is... This is what I need. Give it to me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't need to care how they get there. Okay, it's short term. It's a. It's in, very you know, very short minutes. term. It's like, it's like duct tape, right? Direction is like duct tape. It'll solve the problem, mm-hmm. but that's a quick fix, and it goes with and and it'll get you home. Mm. But you still got to have that repair happen.
0: <laughs> it'll get the car home,
1: but yeah, you still got to take it into the shop. <laughs> What? Yeah, and he's still got to take it in the shop and figure out what the problem is. And then you can, you know, really address it. What do you
0: think is the number one thing that, you know, students come to you that they worry about so much and they shouldn't worry about? What are three things that every talent can do better right now? Just some things off the top of your
1: head. I think, I think talent can always improve looking at a script as a set of choices. Mm, okay. Because the creativity and the performance lay in the choices that you make, and you have to look at a script and let the script inform the choices that you make mm-hmm. as you're getting ready to perform something. And I think that talent could always listen to themselves more objectively, mm-hmm. without passing judgment—good judgment or bad judgment. Most most talent tend to tend to listen to themselves. Um, in a negative light. I think if they look at themselves more objectively, that would only be helpful. Mm -hmm. And because they have to self-direct, I think they have to get better at that, and I think that when they listen to themselves objectively, then they can start to follow some impulses to say, okay, what I'm hearing is that it's too fast, and then I can adjust that and let that happen.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But self-direction is something that is really, really difficult and that talent could do better, too. Yeah, I would say those three things. Yeah, I, I like
0: the idea that listening to yourself objectively better. Do you think that talent could listen to the direction given them and then try to interpret it better?
1: That's hard. If they're listening to direction given to them in real life in a session, uh huh, right? Yeah, I think most talent understands that at that particular moment, there's a professional posture that comes in that they don't want to be seen as difficult or challenging of direction. And it can be very difficult to understand where a director is coming from. Yeah. So more often than not, if a talent is confused by a direction, they'll do the best they can to interpret that direction Mm -hmm. rather than asking for clarification. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes and often the best choice is to say, okay, they're saying this, what does that mean? Okay, I'm going to try this and see if they can do it. In in sessions, direction is really tricky, right? Because the funny thing is that directors don't see other directors direct in sessions. So, again, because I'm trained as a conductor... I understand certain economy of means to st- to make an idea clear and sp- specific and actionable. That to simply say some to simply look at a talent and say faster, and allow them to do that. Yeah. that will have an appreciable and specific result all the way across, no matter how they interpret that direction. Yeah. And then there's a result there, which then I can absorb and understand that that solved the problem, quote-unquote, in my head. And it may not even necessarily be a problem. It may just simply be me trying to under, to have more options or more choices. You know, um,
0: so terms like when you're in a session, faster, slower, more smile, those are pretty easily defined. Yeah. Those are Yeah, easy those are the three attempt. things I've... Yeah. Yeah. But when did someone said, did you grab I mean,
1: that off the internet somewhere? I say that a lot. Did you grab that?
0: I got it from you, Hugh. That's where I got it from.
1: I the funny thing is that I, I made the joke in a blog post which is which um is part of the first book now, that for the first four months I directed in the booth, I swear all I said was faster, slower and smile more. I swear. That's all the only things that I said out of a lack of experience, but also out of, hey, those seem to cover a lot of it. Okay. And people responded and they did things and stuff got better. And I was like, okay, that's a beginning, I suppose. But yeah, faster, slow, and smile more, that'll cover a lot.
0: It will. But when someone gives you the direction of, uh, I need you to be more present or more energy, you know, that's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where I think sometimes, you know, well, what does energy mean to this director or this client? What does more present mean? You know, those are those well, are those gaps that we
1: we have to fill in. Yes, very very much so. But that still is an actionable idea. You can still perform mm-hmm. with more energy, which is not just about speed. Exactly. It can be speed can be a big part of it, but it's also about emotion, enthusiasm, the size of the syllable, the size of the space, and things like that. And then if you. El- give that to a talent and let them interpret it, what it does is that it opens up something for the talent to let them perform, because they, in turn, are now interpreting the words through that idea.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It's it's not as specific as, don't hit that word. Mm -hmm. But it's still something that a talent can do, despite the fact they have to interpret it. And, but sometimes, to your point, when talent doesn't understand that interpreting it can is a subjective thing, uh-huh. a lot of talent is wired to be perfect all the time. And sometimes they have to be willing to try something within the guidelines of what they understand and see what happens. That's trust between a director and a talent. And that's hard earned. But when it's there, it, that's where the good shit can happen. Can I say shit? That's where the good things can happen. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that
0: is uh, a talent, you're in the booth, you have to interpret copy that isn't necessarily conversational how you would speak or anybody in 30 seconds. And then on top of it, you have a director who may be using directorial terms that he or she uses all the time but don't mean anything to you. Or maybe you have to define. So there's just so many ifs when you're in that booth trying to get direction or trying to perform well. Absolutely. Is there anything that when a talent comes to you, you ubiquitously say every time, just like, here's just something I want you to think about? Or just uh, when they come to you for coaching, that is not direction, but when they come to you for coaching.
1: Yeah, I said this so much in the booth. An intern actually wrote it on a post that It slammed it on the wall. Most failures of execution are failures of comprehension. Yes. I say that a lot, for sure. I say things like, um, we can hear when the subtext is there and we can hear where it's not, but we can't know exactly what you're thinking. But we hear when subtext is present. Something like that. Mm-hmm. It's something I feel like I say, but not as cleanly as the first one, because the first one sounds like an aphorism, and it kind of is. Mm-hmm. But I talk about subtext that way, where this, the famous story about one of Sinatra's session men came up to him after him singing this particular song, re-recording it. And he said to him, Frank, i got to ask you, what are you thinking about when you sing that? And he looked down, and he said, Nancy? mm mm-hmm. It's always about Nancy. And wow. then Sinatra walked away. So what is it about Nancy? What What is it? That was his first wife. I believe that was also the name of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Which Nancy? Why? They were both women. Both women that were obviously extraordinarily important to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we can hear the emotion, but we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's still present and there, and he hides behind that. I think it's important for voice actors to have a subtext going on. And it's very difficult. That goes back to my comment about Ian McKellen and his thoughts about the sense and the sound. That if you look after the sense, the sounds will look after themselves. There's a subtext going on all the time, and he allows that to inform the sound. I say that to voice actors a lot. Right. Not all the time. (laughs) Not all the time, but certainly for conversational, more often than not. Sure. But for promo or trailer, Uh maybe not so much. For narration, maybe not so much. Maybe in different ways.
0: So, Hugh, thank you for your time, first off. But second, what is a good way for people to find out more information
1: about you or to contact you? Oh, my God. Okay, so because I'm pivoted, right, into this conversational coaching. My website is a mess and has been down forever. So when it's up, it'll be hughpklitzke.com But for now, if anybody wants to just email me, and I would love to hear from anybody, hughpklitzke at gmail.com
0: you. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. And, and you know what? I feel like I've learned a lot from you in this short amount of time. So thank you for being on the VoiceOver
1: Hustle. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the VoiceOver Hustle with Steve O'Brien.
0: Check out our website, thevoiceoverhustle.com. You can sign up for the newsletter, read the blog, and I'd love to hear from you.
1: If you like the show, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast.